0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In August 2020, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is supporting Hungry for Music. Hungry for Music collects used musical instruments and gets them into the hands of underserved youth with a hunger to play.
1: This month, we're donating 10% of Mastis revenue to Hungry for Music. For more about what they do and how you can help, check them out at hungryformusic.org. If you'd like to participate in our sponsorship of music-related organizations, become a Mastis patron at patreon.com slash Thanks
0: for listening. Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk about songs, talk about songs. We certainly do, and we are doing it for at least the 199th time hello listeners i'm your co-host sarah De bunting and i'm here with the fantasterous ooh right
1: no it's, it's like mark it's like it's like, a chip. It's like Hi, fantastic plus dastardly fantastic plus dastardly i'll take it
0: i think it works uh so we have a we have a song today that is sort of tied to the episode number mark please explain
1: Yes, so this is the very last episode in our show that will start with the number one. And so we are going to talk about One by you 2 Now, this is a song that I had wanted to talk about anyway, but Sarah, with her numerological gifts, correctly <laughs> identified this as the moment that we should discuss it.
0: First so- and last time anyone's saying anything like that. <laughs> Enjoy it, everyone.
1: So here we are, and... I believe that this is the first U2 song that we have discussed in its own episode. I'm sure U2 has come up, but uh, oh, yes. I think this is our first U2 proper episode, yeah?
0: I, I think it is. Wow. Well, so as we transition into episodes that start with two, with you, listeners, it all comes back around. I swear I'm not doing that madonna Kabbalah thing. I'm really not. <laughs> or am I? I'm But not.
1: wait, what is that piece of red thread on your wrist? <laughs> It's So to you, we say you too are welcome to join us as we talk about this song. To kick (laughs) things off with the discussion of one, there is a foot-thick layer of permafrost and an additional foot-thick layer of barnacles around you two. for me at this point. It is so hard to get back to... U2 as a band that makes music because U2 has positioned themselves, and Bono specifically has positioned himself, as more than musicians. They're world leaders. They are people who will run the IMF. They are people who believe they will get the Nobel Peace Prize. Like, There's just so much bullshit around the way that Bono especially comports himself that it can be hard to remember that once upon a time, U2 was just a band. Mm-hmm. Now, when the Octung Baby album came out, we were already well into the transition into U2 as cultural Statesman. savior. yes. That being said, the song one for me, Sarah, scrapes all the barnacles and all of the permafrost off of the band and crystallizes why anyone ever gave a shit about them in the first place it is to me a song that drags up a lot of lizard brain emotion and we can get into that but first let's listen to a clip Okay, Sarah, I'd like to start by positing, as though we're in some sort of model UN in high school, posited this argument. Though one is culturally discussed as being a song about unity and everyone coming together, I argue that its appeal is in the fact that it is actually a wounded, broken, bitter song about people who cannot actually create the unity they profess to desire.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, I've always (laughs) received it as a breakup song.
1: Yeah, okay. But,
0: okay. All right, someone I follow on Twitter or someone that someone I follow follows on Twitter yesterday, like, coincidentally, was like, why is everybody always giving Bono so much shit? He's, you know, he's done a lot. What's the deal with that? Like, can we get past this, like, shitting on Bono phase? And I was like, I have done, I have taken my fair share of f- figurative dumps. <laughs> I see where the- this
1: is going, yes.
0: <laughs> you can take a dump on Bono's <laughs>
1: face.
0: Okay, right on his face. His tiresomely groovy blue glasses will uh, will block the, the poo. Um, so here's the point. I, I remember being like, well, but he's just so Bono-y about everything. But the thing is... I think I think maybe he's not actually as Bono-y as we've just like chosen to believe as a shorthand because, you know, there's a lot going on in the world and it's like Bono does this and I don't have to think about it anymore. So then I'm researching this song and looking at all the cover versions and like comments that Bono has made about it and the extremely interesting to me fact that Brian Eno wrote co-wrote not just this song but like most of the songs on this whole album Mm -hmm. so that's that and bono's like oh yeah it's about like it's about a you know a troubled relationship and that like you're you are one because you're both in it and but it's like it's not going well and i've always thought of this song as an excellent version of you know we're always talking about the world of two that so many Mm -hmm rock and pop songs create. And this is the inversion of that, that like you're in this really bad relationship place. And even though the relationship should end, the only other person who understands the pain is the one who's causing it for you. Mm. So, and I think that his um, vocal interpretation of that and the lyrics are excellent. And it's like the only U2 song after like 1984, Or I'm going to say, well, that's not true. I really like desire, but there's like, he can just be really sort of remote and not seem like a person. And this song really was like, oh, like, but Bono is a person who, you know, wears pants and takes the trash out. Like, okay. But then I read that it's not just a breakup song. It's also about German reunification, and I was like, "Okay, t- Twitter person, wherever you are, this is why people bag on Bono. Like, bitch, just let it be about a breakup, and then shut the fuck up and go call your friend the Pope." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? Like, d- why do you always? He can't resist well, actuallying like himself. To be like, well, yes, it's about a, like the end of a relationship and sunk cost theory, but it's also about the World Bank. Like, I got your World Bank right here. Come sit next to me. I want to tell you something.
1: Shut up. And I think that <laughs> there are definitely u two songs where you that type of pompousness and that type of joy killing uh (laughs) self-seriousness has infected the music and i would say for instance a song like beautiful day which i do not understand why that song is so popular it's so heavy with its own portent that i can't listen to it but for me one because it does have that feeling that you were just talking about really does overleap everything that Bono might want to say about it. Like, I I just feel like the song itself is bigger than him. More powerful than him. And for me, (laughs) and this is a very, very personal thing, but this song was popular when I was like 12, right? It's like 91 that this song came out. So this is just when I was starting to become aware that I was going to be hated for being gay for most of my life. (laughs) by some people. And I mean I had been sort of cognizant of the fact that my difference was going to be a problem from the time I was like 4 years old, but then by by the time I was 12 I had the words that other people were going to hold yeah. me like weapons later. Mm. So to me, the 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 line that I just clipped, which is love is a temple, love a higher love is a higher law. You say you say love is a temple, love is a higher law. You ask me to enter but then you make me crawl. That line I can remember it like it was yesterday. It's like a lightning bolt into my brain. Oh, this is a song about being gay in a place where people try to pretend like they're good Christians. Right. And they're like, oh, no, Jesus loves you and you have to be a Christian and everybody wants to pray and your soul is fine. But guess what? You homo motherfucker. You have yeah. to crawl. You we're one because we're all united in Christ's love, except for you. You have to crawl. And I actually feel... So much emotion right now. And I just feel like that is to me what the song is about. And quite frankly, my parents did not necessarily handle my sexuality very well. And at this time in my life, even though I was closeted to them, they were constantly saying things that made me know that they were raised in an environment where they had been trained to believe that homosexuality was evil. I am old enough now to understand that it's not necessarily their fault, so to speak. But this is still what happened. And well, so but also, I mean,
0: their journey is still shitty for 12-year-old yes, you. So.
1: Their journey was very, very hard for me. And I can remember thinking also, for me, this song is also about realizing that I wasn't going to get to be like my parents. We're one, right. but we're not the same. Uh, did I yeah. disappoint you and leave a bad taste in your mouth? I just remember feeling like... This is also when I started to realize, like all queer people realize, as I've said on the show before, you will, unless your parents are also queer, if you are a queer kid, you will inevitably have a moment where you realize that you are not like your family and you are alienated from them in a way that they cannot understand or bridge with you. And then you just have to hope that your parents have the good sense to love you and support you, even though fundamentally they are not going to be like you anymore. Because, you know, parents want to believe that their kids are being molded to represent them in some way in the world. And if your kids are queer and you're not, your kids are not like you in a fundamental way that you can never, ever bridge. So maybe still figure out how to love them for who they are and support them. But if they don't, you get the song, One, If You're Me. So to this day, I have... A very powerful emotional connection to this song because it is a reminder of when I started to have language for the alienation that I was going to have to spend the rest of my life learning to navigate and happily have done pretty successfully. But it's still there. And this song brings me back to that.
0: I would say, first of all, uh, I know that we have talked about this many times on mic and off, but I just am sorry that that is true. And it sucks and uh you're the best also i would like to think that bono like i don't know bono but i i feel like there is actually still a guy in there who maybe can laugh at himself a little but i also think that bono i get the feeling bono hears stories like that and that if he heard this if he heard the way that you felt seen by this song he would be gratified by that.
1: I feel. Yeah, I do I do get the impression that Bono is the type of artist who is really open to people finding whatever they need to find in his material.
0: Uh, yeah, like I I mean, yes, is there that pompous like, but you know, let's not forget the, you know, the Falkland Islands aspect of these lyrics like can't can we? Like the Falkland Islands are I'm sure happy to hear about themselves in song, but c- can it just be about what we thought? It was about, but I I get the sense that he, as far as like fans or people telling him that they really got something profound or helpful from a song, I feel like he's not the guy who's like, can't you see him trying to eat lunch? Do you know what I mean? That I, f- right. I feel like he would receive that generously.
1: Which so, speak- means
0: I, I can forgive him for some of the other like, can't talk, hanging out with Mandela. Like, okay.
1: yeah, God willing.
0: I um, mean, someone should. He seemed like a good
1: dude. We're going to take a quick pause from talking about you two to turn our attentions to a pop chart astrology reading. Yes, that's what happens when I take a song that was number one on an important date in your life, and I use it to predict the destiny of your success. This week's pop chart astrology reading goes out to Nick on behalf of Gabrielle, who is Nick's wife. And Nick, Gabrielle has asked me to do a reading for the number one song on May 21st, 2018, Which is the day, as you might recall, that you eloped on a beach with your dog. So happy slightly over two years anniversary. I hope that you and the dog are all doing quite well. Uh, So I'm happy to tell you, Nick, that the song that was number one on the day that you and Gabrielle got married was none other than This Is America by Childish Gambino. So let's take a quick listen. Don't catch you slipping, though. Don't catch you slipping, though. Look what I'm whipping, though. so there are so many interesting things to say about This of this Is America. First of all, as you might know, Childish Gambino is the musical alter ego of Donald Glover, who is very famous for creating the TV show Atlanta, for being in community. But when he is making music, he performs as Childish Gambino. It's interesting that he has that dual identity. Another thing is that This Is America debuted at number one and then managed to hold on to the top spot for a second week. And quite a few of the songs in history that have debuted at number one have only stayed there for a single week. So that's a nice testament to the fact that the song was really connecting with people. And a lot of that connection, at least at first, had to do with its music video, which is really just unforgettable and shocking and subversive in its commentary on racism and racism's destructive power and it felt such like such an urgent message in 2018 it still feels that way today if it were to arrive today that music video would still cause a an enormous response of people who saw it for the brilliant work of art that it is the thing is though it's not just the music video that people embraced eventually this song went on to win both record and song of the year at the Grammy Awards, and it was the first hip-hop song to ever win song of the year. So that shows that it had a real broad base of support and that people liked the song for a lot of reasons, not purely because of its video. So how does this relate to your marriage, Nick and Gabrielle? Well, here's what I would say. For one, it's important to remember that Childish Gambino is but one of Donald Glover's many artistic identities. And I think that says something about the fact that your marriage will probably find its success (laughs) In your ability to let one another be whoever you need to be in the moment. You know, none of us are uh, perfectly immutable people. We all have multiple sides, multiple facets. And the more that you celebrate with one another the various aspects of yourselves the happier you probably will be i would imagine that there's something in your relationship already in which you feel like the two of you have identities that are maybe just for one another and uh maybe that's something to do with the fact that you were married under the sign of this very song and another thing i would say too is do not fret if there are times in your lives when it feels like something that you're doing together goes against what people know you to be or expect you to be um for instance donald glover is an actor but he also made music and hip-hop songs aren't supposed to win song of the year except this song did so i would say the more that you give yourselves permission to hold on to the idiosyncrasies that perhaps only you can see but that also make you very much who you are the better so again be yourselves be whoever you need to be in the moment and support each other in that and i feel like that's going to be the route to your success i mean it's not me that's saying that it's the charts i'm just the vessel anyway nick and gabrielle both it was such a pleasure to do this reading and listeners if you would like to have a pop chart astrology reading of your own just shoot us an email at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com and we'll let you know how to make that happen and now back to you too So for you Sarah what has your relationship been with this song if anything in the almost 30 years that it has existed
0: Um this was in the period I was a freshman in college so this is in the period where um I was sort of transitioning into away from uh, like caring about pop and stuff that was on the radio more and into mm-hmm. 120 minutes land almost exclusively so i mean at least as far as my cooler than me friends knew (laughs) so so this song was like i was aware of it because it was absolutely ubiquitous like within six months you were hearing it in fucking right aid and like your people your parents age could sing along to it like it was that ubiquitous and also like i think it had something for everyone and something for every radio's playlist like maybe mm-hmm. not the country station but like it's on light fm it's on like it might be on the oldie station like two for tuesday because they could pair it with like some u2 song from
1: whatever 80 yeah like with so with yeah. sunday bloody sunday or something
0: yeah um also a great song which like because that one's only political fine
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, exactly in the
0: name of love fine whatever
1: uh, and and uh um New Year's Day fine yes. like mm-hmm. if you're just explicitly yes. writing about how hard it is to be Irish, be just do what you need to do boo
0: yeah or also like also fine desire where he's like, I don't know like he starts with that breathy yeah and I was like, oh yeah, hi <laughs>
1: yeah, who like Lord. I'd
0: make you not talk, but I'd absolutely still would to this day <laughs> if you started with that yeah, I'd be like <laughs> Get the car. I'm coming over. Cumberbund. That's it. That's a, a cumberbunder. I had a point. Oh, yeah. So this was ubiquitous. So as a result, as often happens, preparing a song for an episode of Mass Ass, like my relationship with it was like nodding acquaintances. And mm-hmm. I had had no call to think about it for many years, especially now that we live in a much more fragmented world where also like you're not in an uber where you're hearing whatever like 90s hits and like it's just not going to come up because i'm not really a u2 guy so it's not going to be like on a playlist of mine right so revisiting it it was like i don't think i've actually heard this song in at least a decade and if i did it was the johnny cash version and I love that. Wait, this Johnny song Cash covered been... this? Huh?
1: Johnny Cash covered this?
0: Are you joking?
1: I I know <coughs> his version of Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, but I've never heard his version of One by U2. Really? Oh shit. Well, we're going to get into this later. I apparently have been sleeping on all of the covers of U2's one, which we'll get into later, but yeah, sorry.
0: we will. I sort of thought we were segueing. Maybe we have to uh, take a minute. I mean, I <laughs> I felt it was quite, I felt that was also quite ubiquitous. Maybe that was just like me dating a guy for a while who's like completely obsessed with Johnny Cash. So we all had to live in the cash bell jar anyway.
1: Oh my God, here it is. You're right. But this—I mean, of course, you're right. But
0: yeah, but this—I uh, was like, wait, really? <laughs> like I was doing a semester in space. Leave me alone. <laughs> but that the song—I mean, here's one thing about the song that I find uh, that I find interesting. Like there is this, there is this feeling of like. Bono needing to take advantage of this opportunity to a just be a person, like whatever, German reunification, retcon notwithstanding. He can just be a guy who's sad. But then there's a vocal choice at the end of the song, like this choice to like go out on, like it's a it's a really beautiful wail of a vocal. Yeah. But I'm not sure I agree with it, like tonally. But I think it really speaks to this song that there are like a million different ways and tempos to come at it, and there's almost none that is wrong. Like if someone rolls it, like if Weird Al rolls in here with an accordion is like, klezmer, like, yeah, try it. See what happens. Yeah.
1: You know, and I think that actually speaks to how rock-solid both the lyrics and the melody are here. There's something just really... it, it the, the melody and the lyrics are just awesome. They're so... The melody is... Beautiful. It's very sticky, and the lyrics get at something so specific, with such concrete imagery, that really you can tell the truth in just about any tempo that you want. It still kind of sounds like the truth.
0: Yeah, and like he he makes this choice at the end that I think is just him being like, I can just do this, like keening, of yeah, set, like grieving this relationship. Um, And here is my opportunity to not be, you know, with my ambassador name tag at Vatican City for four minutes and 30 seconds. So I'm going to take it, even if it doesn't quite fit. um, But it's also such an integral part of the song, of his version of the song at this point. So
1: Totally. And and this is also making me think about how Octoon Baby, the album, is sort of this perfect balance between their straightforward rock of the 80s and their increasingly electronic experiments of the 90s and beyond because on octoon baby they still have room for keening whales and things like that but then on other parts of this album i don't know how well you know the octoon baby album i'm guessing not very well but maybe i
0: know this song i think
1: so there's also (laughs) do you know mysterious ways
0: oh yes of course i know mysterious ways that's a so great those are one.
1: The, yeah, that's a, it's a great song. That so Yeah, Mysterious Edge Ways. can
0: uh, pick my cummerbund up also because
1: that <laughs> opener is
0: hot.
1: <laughs> so Mysterious Ways peaked at number nine and One peaked at number ten. Those are the two biggest hits from the Octoon Baby album. And they both
0: I can't believe really One only peaked at number ten. That's crazy to me. I did, I did see that yesterday in my research and was like, what?
1: I know, it's ridiculous because like, it's the like— The
0: name of it is One. Just send it, it to number one
1: you only send it nine places higher just to do we, finish yeah, the loop. Yeah, like, do we have to do loop?
0: everything? Synergy, hello.
1: <laughs> but, like, those two songs, I think, are timelessly great songs. And Mysterious Ways is a little forward-looking and a little backward-looking. One is a little forward-looking and a little backward-looking. And there's another song on the album called Ultraviolet Light My Way. That oh, I know in-
0: that song, too. What am I talking of- about? Jesus.
1: But it's so good. And I think that that song you might know because it's in a lot of soundtracks as well. Yeah. But honestly, that song is great, too. So there are a lot of things that really, really work on the Octoon Baby album. And I think it is the reason that it's probably my favorite U2 album, even more than Rattle and Hum or The Joshua Tree or any of that, because there's just something so it's like they're figuring it out, too, what they're doing. And I like that. And it makes me think about that note that Bono sings at the end of this song that you just said. I've, always, I've often wondered if he just sort of improvised it because he was just like, I don't know. Now, that being said, it's also interesting to learn, as I have done in reading up on this song for this episode, how determined every aspect of it is. So I am maybe wrong to suggest that anything was improvised because apparently it was like months and months of working on every aspect of this song. And the fact that it still comes across as feeling fairly improvised is uh, impressive.
0: Well, but I, I think also that this song came out of band strife from working on yes. the rest of the album. And then Bono was just like singing something, and probably the scratch lyrics that he had were like, fuck you, Adam Clayton. And, and so that, then they're like, but what if this? And then he wrote yeah, it like, it, maybe that's what the feeling is is like the rest of the band being like, stop Bonoing for five minutes so we yeah, can get I, this done.
1: I read somewhere that they were going to maybe break up. Yeah, While they were recording this album, and this song kind of saved them. Yeah. Anyway, no wonder there's so much feeling in there. Now, <laughs> this is perhaps a way to segue. Speaking of someone who can give you what feels like completely improvised feeling, but deliver it with such precise artistic control, Mary J. Blige, who we've talked about a few years ago because she sang that Oscar song Mighty River oh, and wrote mighty it to... <laughs> a mighty river hey joe hey <laughs> joe it. it's a river a mighty river um so in 2006 on her album the breakthrough which features the huge hit be without you mary j blige released uh, also included a cover of one that includes her singing with you too and somehow though i did know that her cover of one existed i didn't hear it Fully with my full attention until like four days ago, and now I'm obsessed. So, here is a little snippet of Mary J. Blige singing the same section of one that we heard earlier.
0: Their voices go together so good. So don't well, I know. Do, please do a double album. I don't care what you sing. Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> yeah. Soul, hey, soul sister. Whatever you want.
1: Fine. Seriously,
0: their voices are perfect together.
1: God damn that! Listening to even that clip, I I, I have chills. It's yeah. so good.
0: And also that he is just like I'm. Just gonna stay out of the way until the last possible moment. Because whatever else you want to say about Bono, he's not a dumb guy.
1: <laughs> that's right. And, you know, and his arrival right there, because their voices go well, so well together, it actually adds an extra level of uh, excitement because he comes in at just the right time. Ugh, and I just, the but way that But it has like,
0: I mean, it's such a different feel. Like there's some of the same emotional parts there, obviously, but it has a much more like, um, you know, that Etta James song, Pushover. That, oh, like, no, I don't, but okay. All right. You, I think you would enjoy it. Um, it is uh, sort of like Sherelle's y, but also Etta James is fucking pissed. And like the content of the song is like, this guy's a dick. But she's like, she's up for a fight. And yes. In U2's version of one, he, like, there's much more resignation and like paralysis. And in. Mary J. Blige's version, it's like, uh, all right, what now? What like that? There just seems like more. It's a different energy. It's a more combative energy, and both of them work. So I completely agree. Fascinating to me. And then that she is singing probably to a man. I don't know her life. And then in comes this man who does tend to be a little bit of a mansplainer (laughs) in, in his life, and. Then their voices work really well together. Like, I I don't know. Again, I must insist that they make a double album for me and you.
1: Yeah, seriously. And like you said, sing anything that you would like. Sing the Cars for Kids theme song. I do not care.
0: Okay. I'm going to draw a line there. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to stop you. Yes, and. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, and. It's just,
1: it's just a reminder also that Mary J. Blige is an incredible artist, and you know, it, it's like you know that she feels it as she's singing it, but none of those vocal choices were a mistake or an accident. She was just like, "Yep, yes. this is how we're doing it." And I kind of went down a rabbit hole and watched several live performances, and she does it every time. So you're like, "Yep, she has sculpted a performance here, but she has the talent." To make it feel fresh every time. And the way that she sings the word crawl, oh my God. Yeah. Even that well, girl. At the uh, end
0: there, you think that she's going to like tone it up and really go for a belt. And it's like, you feel like that's the emotionally satisfying for the listener way to go. And then when she doesn't do that, you're like, oh, that's right. That's why she's Mary J. Blige and I'm just some guy with a podcast. Like, <laughs> that she, yeah, that was the correct
1: <laughs> choice. And I'm just Donny Q. Beige. (laughs) (laughs) She's Mary J. Blige, and I'm just Donny Q. Beige. Donny
0: Q. Beige. Oh, boy. DJ (laughs) Donny Q. Beige. Thank you very much.
1: DJ Donny Q. Beige. (laughs) Well, we've plumbed the depths of this song and found (laughs) a new person inside of it. And yeah. what else can we say? A Thanks new you two. shitty person. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I look forward to you discovering the Johnny Cash version. And listeners, if there are other covers of this that we don't know about and you feel that we should, please reach out.
1: And if you have any ideas for other songs that Mary J. Blige and Bono should sing together, let us know.
0: Yeah. If I'm wrong about Cars for Kids, like if she can get that shit to scan correctly, I'm listening.
1: We're We're here for it.
0: Uh-huh we're one but
1: we're not the same but also we're united in this yeah Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting, and it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. and sarah talk mark and sarah talk mark
0: and sarah talk about songs talk about
1: songs
0: thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform